first prayer that you learned as a child? I'm sure some of us may say the Lord's Prayer, or maybe it was a prayer that you said every night before bedtime. But I know for me, and, and maybe some of you, you remember the prayers that were said before a mealtime. And almost as soon as I could talk, my parents were teaching me to say grace around the dinner table. God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food. By his hands we all are fed, give us, Lord, this daily bread. Amen. Or maybe, maybe it's this one, and I need your help on this one. I'm going to ask you to participate, all right? So I'm, I'm going to sing one line, and then if you'll repeat after me. God, we thank you for this food and your many blessings. Amen. Family meals were important to us. We made a habit of sitting down together at the dinner table most nights of the week. And, of course, we had some rules around our dinner table. I'm sure you may have them, too. But for us, all four chair legs had to remain on the floor. <laughs> that was important. We had another rule that said you had to have your shirt on when you came to the table, which that may sound funny, but for three boys who were always playing baseball, soccer, mowing the grass, getting dirty in all sorts of ways, we had to make sure that we were clean for the dinner table. And of course, the most important rule was that we couldn't have anything distracting at the table. Now, mind you, this was before we even had cell phones, but I would still always try to bring the sports section so I could check up on the latest uh, baseball scores or maybe uh, bring the latest magazine I got in the mail, but my mom was quick to tell me to put that aside. We had to focus on just being together. And I think that was important. I'm sure that if it were today, that we would have had to put our phones in a lockbox in the other room. <laughs> but when I, when, I look, when I look back on it, as you know, and it, it seemed annoying at the time, but I think that it really taught me to receive the gift of the other person's presence. It, it taught me to be present with one another and present to God. And every meal, we would also say a blessing. Um, usually we would take turns and um, each person could choose a blessing that they, that they would say. And though I, I didn't know it um, or recognize it at the time, I think this habit of saying grace before meals and eating together at the family dinner table, it helped me to see my life through the lens of gratitude. Appreciating God's gift of good food and good people. I wonder what traditions and stories you might have about saying grace in your family. I wonder if this is something that you do or if there's particular words that you say or particular people who always say grace. Michael Graff is a writer for Our State magazine and he talks about his experience learning to say grace. He didn't necessarily grow up in church so it was a little bit unfamiliar for him but um, he was trying to learn and he found himself in a crowded noisy restaurant and he was eating with some other people and he just thought I'd, I'd, I'll take a moment and, and say grace and so he pauses thank you for this meal do you want any hot sauce with that honey the waitress interrupts um oh yes I do thank you okay 
you to the farmer who raised this. Can I refill that water for you? Uh, please, please do, please do. He bows again, and eventually the whole experience just gets so frustrating, and he says, well, I'm giving thanks. I'm just going to dig in. It can be hard. Um, it can be hard to say grace. We're busy. There are a lot of distractions. We're always on the move. Um, it can be hard to know the right time, the right place, you know, the right person. I'm sure we've been sitting around the, sitting around the table wondering, are you going to say grace? Am I? Can we? <laughs> There's a comedian, John Christ, who just shared some funny advice on this very issue because there's a lot of questions around saying grace. I mean, do you pray for a salad? Well, not if it's a side salad. As, as he said, if it, if it requires some dressing, it doesn't need a blessing. But if it is an entree salad, then yes, you do need to pray for that. But what about soup? Well, as he says, if it comes in a cup, no need to lift up. Burgers, yes, but sliders, that's a gray area. Potato skins, no. Baked potato, yes, you need to. But, of course, the most important question that he answers for us is one that I've often wondered, is how many fries are acceptable to eat while you're waiting for everyone else's food to get there and while you're waiting to say the blessing? I mean, you're not supposed to eat, but then you're so hungry. Well, he gives you... The answer, which I'm glad to know, is three. Three fries is the perfect amount. This is, it's so funny because it's so relatable. And it's, the reason is saying grace is such a central part of our expression of faith. And it's important because gratitude is central to who we are uh, as human beings created in the image of God. Um, Some of you may remember uh, last year we hosted Duke Divinity Professor Norman Wurzba um, to speak about the connection between faith and food. And this is what uh, he writes about saying grace. To say grace is the highest and most honest expression of our humanity. In this act, we, we show that we're committed to taking our rightful place within the world with each other and before God. Here around this table and Before witnesses, we testify to the experience of life as a gift to be received and given again. We acknowledge that we do not and cannot live alone, but are the beneficiaries of the mysteries and kindness of grace upon grace. The beneficiaries of the mysteries and kindness of grace upon grace. And that is one reason we have come here today. We have come to say grace. We have come to give thanks for God's good gifts and to encounter the mystery of God's presence and God's grace upon grace. And we experience this around a table, and there's a lot of names that we might call this meal. Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, the Divine Liturgy, the Mass, all are appropriate Um, According to different traditions, uh, we usually call it Holy Communion, but today I want to focus on the word Eucharist. This word comes from the Greek word Eucharist, so it literally means thanksgiving. This word is found in scripture when it says that Jesus took bread, gave thanks to God, that's the word right there, gave thanks, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples, Thanksgiving. 
Did you know that you can celebrate Thanksgiving not only on one day in the year, but every Sunday where we share communion is an opportunity for Thanksgiving. We remember all that God has done through us in Christ, and we receive the gifts that God feeds us physically and spiritually. There's lots of, um, I've, I've heard many ways that you can share the elements of communion. You might say the body of Christ broken for you, the body of Christ, God's gift for you. One of the ways that I like to say it is the body of Christ, the bread of heaven. And this, this phrase, the bread of heaven, it comes from the passage that we read today from John chapter 6. Jesus says, It is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. I am the bread of life. And Jesus later goes on to talk about the bread of life being his very body, his flesh. And the disciples are, are very confused. <laughs> it's often the case in the Gospels. Jesus and the people, they, they talk past each other. People come to Jesus for one thing, but he gives them something that they didn't expect and confuses them in the process. You know, it's hard for the people in our story today to find Jesus in the first place. Because it seems like Jesus has teleported across the lake. Right before this passage, we see that Jesus walks on water um, and meets the disciples as they're getting to the other side of the shore. And of course, the people of, who are left behind, they're like, we don't know where Jesus went. And so that's why they ask him when they go looking for him, they find him. He says, when, when did you get here? This, this doesn't make sense. Um, but the people want to find Jesus. And they, they come to Jesus because they want something. They have just seen this amazing miracle of feeding of 5,000 people. Um, and one of the most amazing miracles ever. And yet they're looking for another sign. They're looking for more because maybe the first miracle wasn't enough. Or they just wanted to keep going. Or maybe, maybe they just got hungry again. You know, they're not able to be thankful um, for what they have received are we are we any different from the crowds that day I believe that in our culture today we have a crisis of gratitude I believe that so much of the divisiveness hostility negative attitudes that we encounter in our world and even within ourselves is due to a lack of gratitude we can't recognize the gifts in other people and our world we see people through the lens of how they're different from us rather than the gift that they are. We see our world through the lens of resources that are scarce and must be fought over rather than the gifts that are abundant and are to be shared. So Jesus sees that they want something and he starts to press them and challenge them. He says that they're just looking for their fill of loaves. And so then the crowd comes back. They respond by asking, well, what can we do to perform the works of God? What can we do? They have just received this incredible gift, and all of a sudden they're asking what they can do, what they can work to keep this system going. Their sense of gratitude is tied up with 
a quid pro quo transaction. I'll give you this, if you give me that, I'll scratch you, your bag, you scratch mine. I mean, we, we know the feeling. Sometimes we receive a gift and we realize, well, we didn't have a gift for you. Um, instead of just saying, thank you. In her book, Grateful, Diana Butler-Bass explores the concept of gratitude and how it can lead us to peace and wholeness. She says that many people find gratitude difficult because we think of it in terms of a benefactor giving us a gift. We are beneficiaries of the gift and we're in debt. And so we often hear it said, I owe you a debt of gratitude. And so we, we send a return gift or send a thank you note or a favor in return. And there's nothing wrong with that, but the problem is when we see gratitude as based on a transaction or an exchange. According to what we see in Scripture, gratitude is more about abundance and table fellowship and sharing the gifts for free without any expectation of return. We can be just as confused as the crowds in the passage. How often do we come to Jesus just like these crowds, asking for something from him? When all Jesus wants from us is a relationship, to sit down, to eat a meal together. Jesus just says, I am. It's not what I can do for you or what you're supposed to do because of me. It's just who I am. How often are our relationships built on what we feel like we can get from the other person as opposed to just appreciating the gift of that person? No matter what reason we have come here today, we have the opportunity to be with Jesus. Jesus is right here. The most amazing miracle that we see in John chapter 6 is not that Jesus can multiply these five loaves and feed 5,000 people, but we see that in the incarnation, Jesus has come down among us as the bread of heaven. That is a miracle. God himself has been made visible, audible, touchable, and even tasteable in Jesus Christ the bread of heaven, who will satisfy all of our deepest longings. The filmmaker Nicholas Saylor has captured this reality in a beautiful way in a video that he produced for Methodist Church in Raleigh, Church on Morgan. So I'm going to invite us to take a look um, at this video as we appreciate the gift of God's bread of heaven, Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. 
the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his people did not accept him. To all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known.